Plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs. Hello and welcome to the Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, the podcast to help you get the best out of your garden with me, Richard Farrer. And me, George Munford. In this episode, we'll cover briefly garden, uh, BBC Gardener's World Live, which this year was celebrating 21 years. Our plant of the month is, for July is Allium Christophii. We have a regular feature of perfect pairing, two plants that complement each other, Hemerocallis Golden Chimes and Delphinium Centurion Gentian Blue. There's jobs to do in the garden for July and in the vegetable garden. Plants of note, which this month is Crocosmia lucifer and Traclospermum jasminoides. We'll have your questions and forthcoming garden shows. This year, BBC Gardener's World is 21. Quite an achievement. Not the oldest of shows. Chelsea's 100 years this year. And Hampton Court, I think, is in into its 20s, certainly. It's a very nice show. It's a bit different from some of the other shows. Hosted at the NEC in Birmingham, so if you can't make it all the way down south to Hampton Court or Chelsea, then it's a good middle ground one. It's also sharing the NEC centre with the BBC Good Food show. So there's plenty to see and plenty to buy. The BBC Gardener's World live show also incorporates the RHS Flower Show Birmingham. Bonsai trees are always a spectacular, um, I think they're a bit quite spectacular things. You see them at Chelsea in lots of shows, but in the NEC, in one of the large exhibition halls, the BBC Gardener's World hosted the best and biggest show of bonsai trees I've ever seen. Do you like bonsai trees, George? Yes, I do. It's amazing how you can stunt a plant's growth like that deliberately, and yet it still looks healthy. They are literally like miniature trees, aren't they? You can have an oak, which will grow massive, bonsai'd, and it looks like somebody's just... It's like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, isn't it, for trees? Yeah, and the, the, the care and the um, the way that the growers look after them and, and still make them look perfectly healthy. If you think that that plant, that tree, that oak tree, for example, could grow to 100, 100 feet tall, and yet it's been restricted to a few centimetres, really, aren't they? Yeah, I didn't realise that bonsai trees really are not indoor plants. They're supposed to be kept outside. Yes, because a lot of them are naturally occurring trees. Some of them from this country, of course, they should be kept uh, outside. Logical when you think about it, but I suppose you always think of bonsai trees sitting on the windowsill, the sort of thing you might get from Tesco's or local garden centre. Yeah, but... um... They should be kept outside in a pot and exposed to the elements just like any other tree. And they need regular watering, I believe. More than regular because uh, they they have a very small root system compared to a normal-sized tree, so they need frequent watering. Yeah, they are beautiful. I, I really like the uh, the bonsai trees. If you ever get a chance to go to BBC Gardeners Worldwide, then I can really recommend the bonsai tree section. They are superb. As well as the um, indoor arenas, there's an outdoor arena which hosts the Marquee and that has over 100 award-winning and specialist nurseries from around the UK and indeed abroad. 
catering for plants from every conceivable genus that you could think of. So whatever plant you like, you are guaranteed you will find a specialist grower there that will know the plants inside out. So if you've got a plant you like, a particular species of plant you like, it's well worth going along and picking the brains of these people. They can tell you so much about the plants and how to get the best out of them. And also you can buy one or two specimens that you would never find in your average garden nursery. We took quite a few photos of some of the uh, show gardens there. They're not the biggest compared to Chelsea or Hampton Court, but they do show what can be done in a small space and often give young and up-and-coming garden designers a chance to stretch their wings and, uh, and show the public what they can do. You can check out some of our photos on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash plantadvice. One thing I noted in quite a few gardens, George, this year at the uh, BBC Gardens World Live was the use of yew, the Texas Picata hedges, instead of the box, the Boxer Sempervirens. Is this something you've come across? I obviously uh, have seen yew used as a hedge throughout a lot of gardens, but not as um, you, you were saying that they were often used as dwarf hedges. Yeah, I've, I've never seen um, a yew hedge like that. But I suppose when you think about it, a yew is, is never green, and we are used to seeing yews shaped perhaps more in stately homes than in a small garden. But I like them. I really like the yew hedge, and I thought they worked really well as a, as a sort of miniature hedge. Yes, but I think the ones you were looking at were the standard Taxus baccata, uh, which grows very big, so they would need very regular clipping to keep them dwarf. The other advantage that you would have using yew instead of box is, of course, boxes prone to the box blight. I've got three box trees at the moment, but fortunately we've uh, avoided the box blight. Yeah, and Texas Picata obviously doesn't get that. Blight, is that a virus or a fungus? Uh, I think it's an airborne fungus. Are there any similar things that the yew is susceptible to, or are they a bit more resistant to pests? Much more resistant. They have to be resistant to pests. If you think our oldest trees in this country are yew trees, some of the oldest ones can be found in um, church graveyards. They've also got a lovely bark, the mature trees. Yeah, the other thing that I think is fantastic about yew Taxus baccata is the clippings are widely used in cancer medicines. I believe so. We went to a stately home once and there's a company that came in and clipped the hedge for free because they took the clippings away and the money got back from the clippings for use in anti-cancer drug paid for them to do the clipping. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, it's excellent, isn't it? Well, it just goes to show that show gardens aren't just there to look pretty. You really can get some inspiration from these. I've never seen yew trees used or small yew trees used as a hedge like this instead of box but i really like the idea i'm not sure it's something i'd use myself and i don't think i've got space or a type of garden for it but it's well worth considering if you've never been to gardeners world live i can highly recommend it it's easy to get to on the nec by train or by car it's obviously over this year but it's usually on every year in june different from other shows but it's also got a lot of unique features itself definitely well worth a visit So, George, this month, for our plant of the month, you've chosen Allium christophii, an ornamental onion. Can you explain why? Allium christophii, they're very popular plants, and I would say you probably find them in the top ten of most fashionable plants of the last decade. Uh, I particularly like them because they're drought-tolerant, not that that's an issue at the moment. Where did they come from? 
Uh, they're native to Turkey and other areas of Central Asia. They're obviously, or not obvious to the amateur gardener, they're, they're bulbous plants, so you, you plant a bulb. Ali and Christophe I particularly like because it is a naturally occurring species, so it's competing with all the cultivars that have been bred of Allium uh, and being, holding its own. Being naturally occurring, is that going to give it any more longevity or hardiness, uh, resistance to pests than some cultivars perhaps? Not necessarily because the cultivars are often um, have disease resistance bred into them. But Allium on the whole are pretty good in terms of disease resistance and they're pretty trouble free. So what are the ideal conditions? If you wanted to plant one in your garden, what would you need? What sort of site and what sort of soil? You'd need full sun. Not, not really. None of us are going to see that for a while, no. are we? You need to make sure the site's in full sun if or the potential to get full sun. And also the soil needs to be freely drained. So if you've got a normal garden loam, that's fine. But if you could add some grit into the planting hole, that would help. And the most likely time for the bulb to be susceptible to rotting would be in the winter time when the soil moisture really builds up around the crown of the plant. So when you plant an allium bulb, put some grit into the base of the hole and also put some grit around the neck of the bulb before you infill the soil. The flower itself of Allium Christophii has about 50 star-shaped pink-purple flowers and they're all arranged in a, uh, a globe. Allium, I love Allium. Um, we've got one or two in a garden. Unfortunately, one popped its head up this year and then instantly wilted and went down. We don't know why. With luck, it will come back up again. We have got one in the garden at the moment. They always remind me of fireworks, a big cloudburst of a, an explosion in the sky of a firework. Yeah, and they also have that... Have you noticed they have that metallic sheen? Yes. The flowers? They almost look... Uh, yeah, they almost look like an ornament sitting on top of the flower stalk, don't they? They are stunning. This year at Chelsea... Vorman, Varmenhoven, it's a Dutch company, isn't it? They won the best uh, exhibit in the main stand, and the alliums they have are absolutely stunning. I hate to think how many they grow and how many throw away compared to how many they display. So not many of us would get the same sort of display in the gardens, but they are really stunning plants. Yes, and of course you wouldn't throw them away because they're excellent cut flowers. You can put them in a vase on the windowsill. Definitely one of my favourites. Perfect pairing are two plants that go well and complement each other. So coming up for July, we've picked, or rather George has picked, Emerichalis golden chimes, a daylily, golden yellow one, and Delphinium centurion gentium blue, which is a semi-double azure blue flower. Yes, and I've picked these two this month, Richard, because the colours are opposite each other on the colour wheel, so they naturally complement each other. The daylily is a bit shorter than the delphinium. Of course, most people know why daylilies are called daylilies. It's because each flower only lasts for a day. Clues in the title. Yeah. And the golden chimes, daylily has bright golden yellow flowers. Each one, as I've said, only lasts for a day. And I think that they would uh, look particularly attractive planted in front of this delphinium centurion gentium blue. Now, you made a good point there, George, about the use of a colour wheel. 
Um, if you'd like to check the show notes for this show, uh, which is plantadvice.co.uk slash episode four, we'll have a link to a colour wheel that we have on our website. And this is a useful little trick for choosing colours in your garden, isn't it? Uh, where you can have adjacent colours or opposite colours. There's a few different schemes you can use. I used to think you just planted them and that looks nice. But there is a science to some of these things, isn't there? Yes. Ideally, you choose colours that naturally complement each other. The most basic example is a grocer that sells vegetables. If they're clever, they will sell carrots in blue netting because the blue netting really highlights the orange. So if you want to sell more carrots, you put them in a blue net. Very clever. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a recent trend in Hollywood films, and they go for teal, which is a sort of bluey colour, and orange, the Uh two opposites. And have you seen the latest Transformer film? No. Transformers. Sometimes I think they've gone a bit over the top, but the colours, they will particularly choose subject matter, which has blue and teal in it, your skin colour, by nature with the blood under the vessels, it's a bit orangey, isn't it? So they will pick blues to complement the colour or contrast with the colour of the uh, the skin. Very much a Hollywood trick, but exactly the same thing, colour wheel, opposite colours. Yes, and I, I think the most striking thing that I've ever seen in a winter garden is the white stem of a birch underplanted with the black grass, Ophiopogon, Planicarpus nigrosens. Do you know the one I mean, Richard? I do, yeah. Very, very dark foliage. Yeah. And the silver Jet birch black. is almost paper white, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A good trick, the, the colour wheel, well worth checking out. And both these plants are also hardy perennials, so once you've planted them, they'll come up year after year. Yes, they both need full sun again and fertile, moist soil. Let's uh, hope we get some sun then. Just a little interesting fact for you about the daylilies. There are actually some nocturnal daylilies, which the flowers will come out in late afternoon, flower all night and be gone by the morning. Very interesting from a, a perspective for nature, maybe they attract moths, but from the average gardener making the best and wanting to see the plants, pretty useless really. Well, not necessarily if you're on the way home from the pub. <laughs> With a torch. <laughs> Although we've just passed the uh, the longest day, haven't we? So, or longest daylight hours. Yeah. Those look really two nice plants and the colour contrast I think is an excellent idea. Jobs to do in the garden this month. It's a busy season, isn't it? Certainly with the warm weather we've started to have now and plenty of rain, it's uh, ideal growing conditions, which means lots of work in the garden to keep on top of things. Absolutely, Richard. It's a bit like firefighting at this time of year. (laughs) Each day you have to go around the garden and just prioritise. Sometimes, you know, choose the biggest weeds first to get rid of. I think um, in terms of weeding the garden at this time of year, the the key is to stop the weeds from flowering, uh, stop them seeding. Uh, yeah, stop them seeding. They're the priorities. Uh, there's lots of deadheading to do. There's lots of staking to do, spraying roses. One of the main jobs this month, though, is you can do is if you have any irises, some of them need lifting and dividing every two or three years. And the reason for this is that the clumps become very congested and the age of the rhizomes, a rhizome is a, a swollen stem that stores food and nutrients for the plant. Some of the rhizomes get too old, so you dig them all up and you'd be quite ruthless 
and get rid of about two thirds, let's say, for example. When when you dig them up, is it easy to tell which are the older rhizomes? Yeah, because they're often withered and they're not plump. So go through the rhizomes and pick out the healthiest, plumpest rhizomes. You trim the roots and you trim the leaves by half. The reason for that is when you plant them back in, you want them to establish quickly. And trimming the leaves stops them rocking about in the wind for the first, that's the first reason. And then secondly, because you've trimmed the roots, you want to reduce the amount of water loss from the leaf. So therefore you reduce the surface area. Surface area. By cutting the leaves down to 50%, you're still going to have sufficient surface area to photosynthesize and and feed the rhizome then? Yes, absolutely. So there's no danger of killing it by going too far down? no. Well, it's a good way of dividing to rejuvenate the plant, but also, I suppose, get extra plants for the future. Maybe share with friends and swap plants. That's right, yeah. Good idea. And I believe collecting seed, you have uh, you mentioned earlier to me before we uh, started recording this, uh, Aquilegia and Primula, uh, any other ones you'd recommend? Poppies, perhaps? No, uh, just the Aquilegia and the Primula. If you collect the seed when it's ripe, just before the seed heads are about to pop, uh, you can collect them and store them in an envelope. So poppies, when would I have to wait to collect the seeds for those? I would just keep an eye on them and, and when the flowers produced, it will have like a, a very green seed head and as that turns brown and starts to break open, that's the time to collect the seed. Okay. You mentioned earlier about weeding, the bane of every gardener's life. Traditionally, I've always had garden borders which have had plenty of space in between plants, plenty of mud showing. But when I started visiting the garden shows a few years ago, it was apparent how they used to cram odd plants into every border. You cannot see a single bit of soil. Is that useful for keeping weeds down as well as making the best available use of the space? It's a good idea as long as you can always manage it because obviously some plants are much more vigorous than others. And if you just left that garden to get on with it, the more invasive, aggressive plants would soon take control of the area and it would be survival of the fittest. So while you may save some time in weeding, you've got extra time controlling the more aggressive plants. I would say so, yeah. Swings and roundabouts. be constantly um, stopping... The, the more aggressive, bigger plants from growing into the smaller ones and swamping them. Never-ending task. <laughs> and at this time of year, um, you're also supposed to lift spring bulbs, aren't you? Daffodils, tulips, etc.? Yeah, as soon as the uh, leaves have withered and turned yellow and then brown, you can lift the bulb, cut the leaf off the uh, leaf stem off the top and put them in an envelope or a brown paper bag get all the mud off from around the outside and they can be stored in a, a cool, dry place. Now, what is the point in doing that compared to just leaving them in the ground and hoping they'll pop up again next year and look beautiful? That sounds like an awful load of faff to me. You don't have to do it, Richard. Is what, uh, What's the benefit? The benefit is when you lift those bulbs, you can take off any offsets, i.e. the baby bulbs on the side, and you can go and plant them elsewhere around the garden. So similar to dividing the irises, sort out the weak, yeah. chuck away the old ones, yeah. replant the new ones, keep rejuvenating the stock. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could end up with, um, you could start with two or three bulbs and over a long period of time you could end up with three or four hundred. They look beautiful in spring, don't they? Absolutely, yeah. 
tulips, I think, are, are one of my favourites as well. I love the tulip. Certainly prefer the tulip over the daffodil, I think. The tulip doesn't last as long as the daffodil, though, no, does it? No, unfortunately not, but it is a beautiful plant. In the vegetable garden. So those are some of the jobs to do in the garden, in the um, flower beds. Uh, what should we be looking at in the vegetable garden, George? Uh, this month, July, you can sow seeds outside of lettuce and radish, carrots, beetroot, spinach and cabbage. You can uh, harvest rhubarb, French beans, tomatoes, onions, radishes, carrots, beetroot, spinach, cauliflowers, cabbages, lettuce, broad beans, cucumbers in the greenhouse, potatoes and Swiss chard. Quite a long list. Yeah, you're not going to have time for the ornamental garden if you're harvesting that <laughs> lot, are you? It's a full-time job garden, isn't it? Did you realise even Alan Titchmarsh has a gardener? That's terrible, isn't it? It's appalling. Probably has a much bigger garden than most of us, though. Imagine being his gardener. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to let you off, is he? <laughs> Plants of Note Plants of Note are a few extra plants that we also like in the garden at this time of year. We've covered our plant in a month and perfect pairing earlier, but we've picked another two plants uh, which always look nice at this time of year. We've gone for uh, Crocosmia lucifer, also known as Montbretia, and Trachlospermum jasminoides. Jasmine, in other words. Star jasmine. Star jasmine. The jasmine's got a beautiful fragrance, isn't it? And lovely white flowers. Yes, it has, that's right. Evergreen leaves as well. And it's quite a good climber. Yes, the star jasmine, Trachylospernum jasminoides, it's native to China, Korea and Japan. It has evergreen, glossy leaves, and they turn bronze in the wintertime. Oh, that's nice. So you've got foliage as well, but a different colour. Yeah, and the pure white flowers are produced in mid to late summer, and they're fragrant. It needs a support to grow on, so a trellis, for example, and it needs to be on a warm, sunny wall because it's not fully hardy. So you need to be quite careful about where you position it in the garden. And it needs, as I said, a trellis to twine through, and it can grow up to nine metres tall. That's pretty tall. But does the height also equal horizontal? So if you say it grows up to nine metres, does that mean you can train it nine metres horizontally? Absolutely, and you probably get more flowers on it if you trained it uh, horizontally. And if you trained it both ways, if my maths is correct, that would be 18 metres. Yes. That's yeah. quite a fence to cover, isn't it? <laughs> I've got a jasmine in the back garden here in uh, by the side of the patio. It is beautiful. It's really covered in plenty of leaves. It seems to be growing well, but it's not flowering. It didn't flower last year. When do they flower, George? Is it not going to flower or have I got something wrong with mine? I'd have to have a look at it, Richard, to be honest with you. Well, when we finish this podcast, we'll pop out the patio and have a look. <laughs> and perhaps we'll report back next month to tell you what happened. Yes, OK. It might be something like regularly trimming it. It's looking very healthy. It's looking really healthy. Lots, yeah. of, lots of shoots. I just would love to see the flowers because A, they're really pretty, but B, the fragrance is superb. And it's quite an enclosed area in the patio. So the fragrance, you'd really get it wafting as you walk past it. Often a mistake people make is they plant climbers that are much too vigorous for the space that they put them in and therefore they keep trimming bits off them all the time every time they are taking over a space that they're not supposed to. And of course every time you trim off a bit that might be a, a shoot that's going to flower in a couple of months time. 
We'll have to go and have a look then, George, and try and remember to report back to everyone. The other thing that you can do with any flowering plant is if you know when it's going to flower, a few weeks before, six to eight weeks before, then give it a boost with some tomato food. Encourage it to produce more flowers. We did water the garden. We, I think last year at the Hampton Court Flower Show, we managed to get hold of a, a big tub of seaweed, concentrated seaweed granules that you mix in with water and feed the flowers. And, and I think that's helped the garden. Quite a few things seem to have had a bit of a spurt. But I yeah. also believe that you can overdo it with the seaweed and it can be a bit damaging if you put too much of it on. Yes, absolutely. It might produce too much green foliage growth, uh, not have the right nutrients in it for flowering performance. You'll have to be careful with that. And the Crocosmia lucifer. That's a plant I suppose I have quite a connection to because even as a young child, I remember these growing in the garden that my mum and dad grew. And uh, I've got two in the back garden here, uh, one of which I think you moved me last year because it was too far forward at the front of the bed. And they grow about a metre tall or so, don't they? They aren't really big, almost grassy, like a massive grass-type leaf. But then they shoot up with these really vivid red flowers. They're lovely, aren't they, Richard? It's, um, it's a plant that grows from a corm. So we talked about the irises earlier. A corm is another type of storage organ, a modified stem. The leaves are sword-like, and they're quite unusual because they're pleated. Have you noticed that? Yes. And as you say, the bright red flowers are stunning. They don't, they don't last for very long, but they look a bit like uh, fishing rods. Yes, they do. They remind me a little bit of a, almost a miniature strelitzia in shape. Yeah, the bird of paradise yeah. plant. Yeah, I know what you mean. Not quite as exotic. Uh, each, individual, each individual flower is funnel-shaped and they're arranged on this flower spike that arches over. Um, definitely nice and they're very useful towards the back of a bed. They fill a good, good area and really shoot up quite tall, don't they? Yeah, as you say, up to one metre. Yep. And... Uh, as you know, Richard, it's a good idea to dig the clump up every now and again and split it and plant them elsewhere around the garden. Seems to be a, a recurring theme at this time of year to split plants, rejuvenate, and maybe planting else, elsewhere in your garden once you've got a few young ones. Not necessarily at this time of year. It's a good good time of year to do the irises after they've finished flowering, but the most common time to split plants is either in the autumn or first thing in the spring. Well, I'm learning a lot. For you listening, you probably don't know the background too much of George and I. George is the horticulturist of the two of us. I'm more the sort of the one that looks after the website and the technical side. But I'm really getting into garden. I do love the garden. And this year, I'm actually thinking of doing a course, an RHS course in horticulture at the local college. So maybe next year, George, I'll know a bit more about these things and won't make such schoolboy errors. Yeah, an RHS course, Richard. Yeah, yeah, an RHS course. Uh, it's only going to be a theory course because I obviously can't do the practical. Again, listeners might not know that a few years ago I suffered quite a bad accident, so I'm stuck in a wheelchair. But um, it doesn't stop me appreciating the plants and planning the garden and really enjoying it. Yeah, I hope you enjoy the course, Richard. Yeah, I will do. It's going to stretch me a bit, but <laughs> get the old grey matter going again. I think you'll be fine. Let's hope so. Okay, we've had a question uh, from a reader on our Facebook page, which you can get at if you want, facebook.com slash plantadvice. Junior McCuty asks, when watering my plants in and outdoors, do I use the same dose recommended only once 
or can I use it twice, watering the same day? I guess he's talking about garden feed. Yes. Uh, all I can say on this, Richard, is you can really only follow the advice on the label. Gut feel, and it's only a gut feel, like you say, without reading the label, two doses in one day, that's probably a bit overkill, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you want a half the recommended dose and do it twice in one day, that's fine. But, but what I would say is every product that you buy of this sort is a, probably a chemical. Phone the company up and ask them. Good advice. Well, Junior, I hope that answers your question. We'll get back to you on Facebook and answer that. But um, if you subscribe for the podcast, thanks for asking and uh, I hope that clears things up. If you'd like to ask some questions, please do. You can get hold of us uh, by email, feedback at plantadvice.co.uk, and we will do our best to answer the question in a forthcoming episode. Forthcoming Garden Shows. For the month of July, there are two garden shows coming up in the UK. From the 9th to the 14th of July, there's the Hampton Court Palace Flower Show, an RHS one. That is actually the largest flower show in the world 33 acres compared to chelsea's 11 acres not as prestigious as chelsea but a fantastic garden show to go to and some amazing gardens to see there's also the rhs tatton park flower show later on in july from the 25th to the 28th of july tatton park is a little bit more north in cheshire so if you can't make it down to the more southern shows such as the nec or chelsea or hampton court Tatton Park is a really fantastic show to go to and it also has a unique feature which are the um, council flower beds. You know the sort of council flower beds you find around the country, George, and the councils, some councils do do amazing shows. Well, at this show they have, I don't know, a selection 5, 10, something like that, flower beds, usually on a theme, which councils plant up and they do look absolutely amazing. Yes, Richard, um, I'm going to say something negative on this though. (laughs) Go on. We all have our own opinion. In times of austerity, um, I thought our councils were trying to save money. So you think about it, every year they replant these beds in public places and borders with brand new plants. Why not put permanent plants in there that last for decades? Surely you'd save yourself a lot of money. Yes, you would. That's a a contentious issue. They do look beautiful and it lifts people's spirits, I suppose. It also provides jobs for a a select few people that work in the the council horticultural department. That's a tough one, George. I wonder how many people respond to this. On the jobs front, looking after plants properly, you know, shrubs, uh, small trees, that's still a lot of work. So there's still work there for people. What I'm saying is you haven't got the capital cost of growing plants every year. But if, it, if they've got the plants themselves and the yeah. greenhouses and they are bringing the plants on themselves and cultivating them, yeah, isn't yeah. that okay? I suppose so. I think you've got to, got to look at the two costs, I suppose, haven't you? Very contentious issue. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you think George is wrong or you disagree or uh, you'd like to add to it, please uh, get in contact with us, let us know. Maybe we can continue this conversation next month. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode. If you've got any questions, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can email feedback at plantadvice.co.uk. If you like the show, please let us know. You can leave a rating on iTunes. You can get us at iTunes via plantadvice.co.uk slash iTunes. Show notes for this episode you can find at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 4 
and all the links for the show will be on that one page. You can follow us online on Twitter at Plant Advice or uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash plantadvice or you can catch some of our YouTube videos at youtube.com slash plantadvice. We've also got a special offer to listeners of the podcast. We produce a range of labels for plants in the garden, which are durable, uh, weather-resistant. You can find the labels on our website at plantadvice.co.uk slash labels. And for listeners of our podcast, if you quote PA-podcast on the postage section of the order form, you will get free post and package on your first order. They're ideal in the garden. If you keep forgetting what your plants are, like I do sometimes in the herb garden, two or three of them look the same. Uh, I think I've got two or three different thymes and two or three different oreganos. They help to remind you what you've got in your garden. And finally, if you'd like to get a regular email newsletter of some of the things we've talked about, um, you can get that by subscribing at plantadvice.co.uk. And when you do, we'll send you a link to a free ebook that George and I wrote on how to get the perfect lawn takes a little bit of effort, but it can be done. So thank you for listening. We hope you listen again next time. And it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. This podcast was brought to you by plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs.